Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the MMTV NFL Podcast. I'm Gary Gramling. I'm Connor Orr. Conference semifinal weekend coming up here, but uh, we're going to start by doing something a little different. And, uh, well, I mean, we, we just to pull back the curtain for a second, Connor and I were originally going to uh, binge watch some of our favorite uh, shows that were advertised nonstop during the season. Uh, uh, if, if you go... If you go back, I feel like Evil and FBI and the Chicago shows on NBC are the ones that came up the most, uh, like like when I think of this. But uh, I think this year reminded me Ghosts on CBS, which looks kind of okay. So it has long been my dream to interview like uh, Tony Romo and Jim Nance about this, which they would never do, or whoever, you know, Jim Nance and Phil Sims or any of this. But like, imagine calling a game. And it's like the heat of a moment of like a Patrick Mahomes game winning drive and like some corpo suit calls the booth and is like, Jim, read the promo. And he's just like, Tyree kills at the 10 and the five. Watch <laughs> like tonight on CBS, Edie Falco is Tommy, you know, he's <laughs> like, just like, it's like. Is that a show? Yeah, yeah. It it uh it lasted one season and uh it is a it's an American police procedural crime drama uh created by Paul Atanzio that aired from February sixth to May seventh, twenty twenty, starring Edie Falco as the first female police chief of the LAPD. Woo! Man, Edie Falco. Ugh. Carmela Soprano. Yeah, and I just called her Flacco. Accidentally, so <laughs> like, we we'll watch it. Like, here's the thing: like, there is a lot of football that we have to talk about, but I care so much more at this moment. Like, who watches this? Who watches any of this shit? Like, and if you do, can you please write in and just be like, I loved Bob Hart's Abishola. Like, I love that show. Uh, I love 
like I I wish that they made a second season of Tommy with Edie Falco. Wait, I have a list here now of uh, uh, we we say that, but there are like there are like millions of people who watch those shows. That's what I'm saying. You know, yeah, they're out that they outnumber us. Who <laughs> we can't who, win that war. Who who is like who is like you know what I thought. I thought NCIS Nebraska was the best, but NCIS Hawaii is <laughs> is really what gets me going. Or or Bull, but our producer Shelby just told us that Bull just got canceled like yesterday. So, yeah, so, sorry which, to break that news to all the Bull fans out there. Yeah, which is which is what makes this a timely topic to uh, to cover right here. <laughs> Bull, the the jury selection specialist. Uh, yeah, that looked uh, looked like a. Not a good one, but a show that existed. Uh, yeah, yeah. Go. I'm just peeping ghosts here. Um, it looks like they live with. I mean, you could just watch it all for free online. That's probably why it's so terrible. Like, I can watch it right now. I don't. I don't need any. Like, they're just like, please God, someone watch this. Um, it looks like the there's like a caveman. Um, they live in a house with like funny ghosts. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that looks that looks kind of okay. I I I won't. Uh, I probably won't watch it. I I definitely won't watch it. But but not out of like spite. I just won't get around to watching it. It won't make my top hundred. So it looks it looks pretty okay though. Yeah, I would I say think. so. Yeah, I mean you know, it, imagine being trapped in like a house, and all you did was watch. You had to watch basic network primetime dramas. Like that's yeah. that was that was your thing. You you, I mean that would be a hard be a hard life, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're gonna we're gonna talk about football on the show, Connor. We're getting to it. We did our six minutes uh, on on uh, our favorite shows, but uh, we're actually starting with a team that fell out of the playoffs on Monday, and I want to talk about the Arizona Cardinals because I feel like this loss has potential consequences uh beyond just the fact that the cardinal season is now over uh because really when you go back over saturday sunday it's like okay for the most part uh you know the cowboys got upset but it's kind of like the good teams beat the bad teams and the 49ers are still a good team even if they weren't as good as the cowboys maybe uh and that's kind of where we landed but this Cardinals team, which was everyone's favorite team, uh, seven weeks into the season when they were undefeated, uh, it, it just it it collapsed so quickly and it dropped off so sharply. And it is something we've seen from Cliff Kingsbury teams, whether it be the Cardinals or even you go back to Texas Tech, the way they've finished seasons. But uh, I feel like this was really an exaggerated version of that, and it's time to kind of diagnose what is going wrong here. I can't believe you just holstered your ideal Bob Hart's Abishola to Kyler Murray transition that I know you had in you <laughs> somewhere, uh, but you just didn't try. Uh, um <laughs> I got it. I got to save it. I got to save it for uh, when the show is drawing the kind of ratings that Bob Hart's Abishola gets. (laughs) We would be lucky to be Bob Hart's Abishola. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, so, yeah, I I, so this game came down and I wrote this uh, that night, but I froze the game at one point. It was the Kyler pick six. Right. Um, And that play that kind of turned the tables of the game made it 21 nothing. You're not going to come back in that game. There was a moment where if you paused it, um, right, you know, Kyler Murray had not yet felt the pressure. Um, I think it was Reader that was coming in on the on the blitz. Yes. Um, yep. He had not yet felt the pressure, but there was one, it was the Rams' third best defensive tackle, and he was conflicting four Cardinals blockers at once, which is crazy to me. So they had six-man protection. They had the five offensive linemen, and then they had Chase Edmonds, who is the worst of their two blocking backs. James Conner is the best blocking back in the NFL. Chase Edmonds is like the 60th best blocking back in the NFL. So they had Chase Edmonds in at the goal line, um, and they ran a little game with uh, with Greg Gaines and Aaron Donald. So Aaron Donald is on the um, Aaron Donald is on the left. He fakes like he's going to rush, and then he kind of loops outside. And uh, and then just stands there like he's like he's going to 
cover and zone. And all of a sudden, Gaines then just goes all the way to the left where Aaron Donald was, and along the way gets double teamed. And then there are just two guys that thought they were blocking Aaron Donald that are like, okay, we have nothing to do now. So here comes Greg Gaines. Let's just wait for him. And then Justin Pugh comes out to just stand there in front of Aaron Donald to make sure that Aaron Donald doesn't come back again. So then you have your left tackle one-on-one with Von Miller, and then you have a blitzing linebacker one-on-one with one of the worst blocking backs in the NFL at the two-yard line, which is crazy to me. And then all the other stuff comes together where Kyler Murray, you and I have talked about this, doesn't throw a ton of checkdowns. He always goes for that downfield, the vertical throw, had a checkdown, didn't throw it, held on to the ball, and uh, it's just so emblematic of everything that's broken with this, right? The air raid has the big-on-big protection, which just doesn't work um, at at the NFL, especially if you're stunted like this. Um, Kyler Murray doesn't take those advantageous throws for one reason or another, and the plays are predictable. I mean, it's cool when you have DeAndre Hopkins and you can sight adjust and you can do all this stuff, but if you don't have these guys, um, you're... Like you're what he was running like a whatever it was like a three tiered concept you know mm-hmm. high medium low and the like it was almost like the Rams knew exactly what was going to happen and they had one of the like a decimated secondary and they still covered that play long enough to shut him down. So there are a couple of things going on here, uh, and we'll start with Kyler Murray and uh, look it. <laughs> I was uh, I was foolishly critical when they uh, cut bait with Josh Rosen and went Kyle Murray too. and decided to and obviously that was the correct move. Uh, there is <laughs> there is no doubt about that. We all look like idiots now. Uh, as far as Kyler Murray goes, look, I have concerns about a five foot ten quarterback in the NFL where uh, we can talk about uh, you know moving the pocket and all this stuff, but. Uh, essentially at some point you have to play from within the pocket and it's so condensed and uh, it's so claustrophobic. Uh, And I realize, you know, back when Kyler Murray was coming out, if you said I was concerned that he's five foot 10, everyone just tweets at you that you love Tom Savage and uh, you can't live it down for the rest of your life. But you do love Tom Savage. I do. He's one day, one day he's coming back. <laughs> uh, yeah, the the issue with being five ten versus even being like six foot six one, uh, and and I'm getting to really, uh, you know, we're talking anatomy and and uh, really sciencey stuff right here. Uh, you can't really see over people's shoulders at five foot ten in the NFL, uh, even in their athletic stance. Your eye level is basically like right at the top of the shoulder pad for these players. Uh, so that two or three inch difference between a, you know, short quarterback, a, a Drew Brees size quarterback, a uh, Russell Wilson size quarterback, and uh, and Kyler Murray, who's an inch or two shorter than those guys, I think he just has issues seeing the field and specifically spotting his checkdowns. It is easier to, you know, your field of vision is a little bit clearer further downfield in that scenario, but it's just really it's just really difficult to throw to what you can't see. And when I watch Kyler Murray, I again, I can't say it for sure because I can't uh, I, I can't uh, being John Malkovich this whole thing and see exactly what he's seeing. But uh, I cannot I, I, I just keep on thinking he's not seeing this. He's not seeing the field and there's not really a solution with it except for let's start moving the pocket. And then you just, you know, whatever you you end up having him sort of in a system that is not Cliff Kingsbury's system is not the system that Kyler Murray has played in uh, for the last uh, five years or so. So I don't know what the solution is at this point. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm deep into Tom Savage's Wikipedia page right now, by the way, he, uh, he <laughs> torched the university of central Florida and the St. Petersburg bowl, like wild when he was at Rutgers. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. So that was, you know, don't, like you said, don't count them out. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it's interesting. So a couple of years ago, I remember talking to Warren Moon about Russell Wilson. And one of the cool things that Russell Wilson did so well um, during that time where they were deep in the playoffs consistently was it was like the boot action. And then they would send a defender at him immediately with the theory that, like, we would just bat it down. Like, But Russell always skyhooked that ball to the to the back or to whatever that check down player was and it was just perfect and there's no way he could have seen that guy and Warren Moon agreed he's like yeah but this is something that we practice this is something that we work on and you develop that extra sensory sort of deal I think 
by plugging him into an offense that he has played since seventh grade, you have taken away some of the things that like, you know, you have to learn how to do this. You know, I mean, the air raid was good for him for so long because it's it's just what he grew up doing and he can tailor his body and his mechanics and his throws to work inside that. And now I I granted Cliff Kingsbury's thing is is not really true air raid because he's putting in a lot of situational stuff that resembles uh, an NFL offense. But I think along the way, you probably lose the necessity to be somewhat body creative and you probably do miss some of those throws. I mean, I, I don't know what the other explanation is because I you know, and I guess you could say they're down two scores uh, at that point and he's trying to stretch the ball downfield and pick up a first down. But I would take Rondell Moore against that secondary trying to tackle him over. I don't know who he had on that side, like AJ green deep against no. like Jalen Ramsey, you know? So I don't know. I, I don't love that matchup, but I think you're right. I think he's just not he's not seeing stuff. And um boy, that's that's gonna be a tough uh that's gonna be a tough situation. So, you know, Cliff Kingsbury was in trouble coming into this year. Uh obviously if you step back and say, well, they went eleven and five, they made the playoffs, uh that that is progress. I'm not entirely sure it was progress. And again, I was I was never really on this bandwagon, uh, even when they were seven and zero. I I just I think some of these things that were going their way, whether it be fumble recovery rate, whether it be uh, I mean their fourth down, they they were some like a hundred percent on fourth down conversions uh, halfway through the season, and they were only allowing like twenty eight percent on the other side. It was stuff that was just not sustainable. And at some point, uh, you're just not going to be stealing two, three possessions every game, and things are going to even out to an extent. So uh, I think, you know, part of it is, uh, you know, DeAndre Hopkins injury obviously has an impact here, but part of it is just, you know, the luck aspect just sort of evens out as you go on. And I think what you saw in the second half of the year is probably closer to where they are in reality than what you saw in the first half of the season. Yeah, I I think for sure, I think at least the, the chatter around the league was that Cliff Kingsbury was in trouble before the start of this season. And, you know, people had mentioned to me like as late as like October, like, but if he screws this up and who knows? I mean, I think that if you're Arizona, you kind of need to stand behind this at this point. Like, I don't know what your other options are unless somebody is coming in there. And, you know, cause I, I think there are coaches that just aren't in love with Kyler because they don't know how to make it work the way that Cliff does. And so I think that there might be some consternation there. You know, do I take that job? Do I not take that job? But I don't know. It, it's interesting. I mean, I think uh, above all, uh, it is a lesson for Cardinals fans to be a little bit nicer to people during the season. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, uh, every every year there's one fan base that is in like some sort of middle America destination that feels angry and forgotten about. And they didn't even think the team was going to be good. And then the team is like seven and two and they're like, where's the media now? And and, and that was you guys, Cardinals fans. You did that. Mm-hmm. And we said that I picked them to win five games because they're a fundamentally flawed team. And guess what? You got J.J. Watt and you blitz the crap out of everybody for a few weeks and it worked and it was good. But you're still a fundamentally flawed team. So, I don't know. Just had to get that off my chest. Um, <laughs> I have that. not. I, I have a lot of stuff in my DMs from uh, earlier this year. I, yeah. I, I'm a bigger man. I will not go back. I realize you guys were feeling yourselves. And uh, I don't know. It probably felt good in the moment. I know it doesn't feel good now. And that's, uh, uh, yeah, it, it's a feeling to remember now have that it's fun over. trying to trade back for Josh Rosen. <laughs> Oh, poor Josh Rosen. You need to make it right with Josh Rosen. Poor Josh Rosen. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. 
Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's uh, let's get into the games this weekend. Uh, we are going to go chronologically from Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, and then the Sunday games. That's how chronological order works, uh, <laughs> as far as we know about the order of time. Uh, but we are starting with the Bengals and the Titans here. So we are taping on Wednesday evening. There is no clarity on Derrick Henry at this point, but it is within the realm of possibility. I mean, reading the tea leaves, let's call it 60-40 that he sees some kind of action on uh, on Saturday. And I mean, he is he is a difference maker. I you know, I realize they got the one seed anyway without him, but this offense was not good. Uh, in the second half of the season, it was not anywhere near as good as it's been for the last uh, the last two seasons. So, uh, if they were to get him back near one hundred percent, that is that is huge. I'm just not sure. He, you know, uh, what can his workload be at this point after being off for a couple of months? And it's a Jones fracture, you know. So I I don't know. And, and you're a back with just now. I mean, we you know, you and I worked on this story in the off season. I mean, he is at peak physical training but like you're also like a a very top heavy person right i mean a lot of your game is arm strength is upper body strength and so how does that work when you're just bearing all that weight down on like a crack in your foot i don't know but i think there's no disadvantage here for the titans to come out and just say that he might play and to talk about it all week because if you're zach taylor or you know if you're anybody over there in in cincinnati you have to prepare for that and so I think at this point it just could could just be gamesmanship. You trot him out there, you make them think he's going to go, and then right before the game you you yank him off the field and 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 pray that you get by somehow um, and and move on. I still think the Titans can win this game without him. Um, I I think the, I think Ryan Tannehill and AJ Brown and you know Bengals are vulnerable to the downfield passing game. I I think this is possible, um, but uh, Bengals are playing really well right now. Well, you also have a. Uh... Bengals team that uh, I mean they're they're pretty banged up up front. Uh, they just lost Larry Ogunjobi. Uh, you know that's what you kind of saw in the second half that Raiders game. They just didn't have any sort of pass rush to uh, to get on Derek Carr at that point. So uh, it will be uh, like you said they are susceptible downfield. And look if this turns into a shootout that kind of plays into the hands of, you know, the Bengals offense and Joe Burrow, who's probably the hottest quarterback in the league right now. Uh, And then the question is, you know, this, this Titans defense that really, I don't know about you, Connor. I was saying mid season, I thought this was like a bottom five defense, despite having Jeffrey Simmons and, and Kevin Byard, who I absolutely love. Uh, It was just, it's, it's just so full of holes. I didn't see how it could work, but uh, it definitely, it definitely worked the second half of the year. Yeah, and I don't know what the spreadsheet had said. Um, what what did the spreadsheet like the Titans? Did the benevolent spreadsheet like the Titans? Uh, not relative to where they finish, obviously. Uh, I I can pull it up as we as we go here, but I want to say they were around like twelve when it was mm-hmm. done. Now, of course, that's that's you know Derrick Henry injury, but uh, I don't think they were ever higher than like uh, somewhere in the ten to twelve range. I think that there is a like we've seen with the Cowboys this year, right? There is a way to manufacture game-changing turnovers on a semi-regular basis, but you have to commit to that style. I think, I I don't necessarily know if that is the Titans' style defensively. I just think they happened to get a lot of game-changing turnovers throughout the course of the season. Um, They have arguably the best safety in the NFL, Kevin Byard. I still think Simmons is going to give them some trouble up front. But it's it's a total unknown. I don't know what you can do against Joe Burrow right now that's going to effectively slow him down. I mean, the Raiders, while not extraordinarily talented, basically played a defense that was like, you have to make perfect throws on the sideline basically every time in order to beat us. And Burrow said, great, I, I can eat this for breakfast. And inter- you want to hear an interesting stat, Gary? I do. There are only two quarterbacks in NFL history with five straight games of a passer rating of 100 
are more. Joe Burrow is one. Um, who is the other? Wait, five straight games of a passer uh, of a hundred? Mm-hmm. That's not that high. Only five guys have done that. Hold on, because now. <laughs> Wait, that yeah, look that up again. I feel like that happens a couple times a season, but maybe I'm maybe I'm just not paying close enough attention. Okay. Uh, no, I'm right. Hold on. Okay. So he has Burrow has a hundred plus passer rating in each of his last five games, with the playoffs included. Um, that is the longest active streak in the NFL. Sorry, active streak in the NFL. Yeah. Along with what other quarterback? Uh, I would say it's got to be someone who hasn't thrown an interception. So I'd say Aaron Rodgers. Yep. That's pretty good company, right? Yeah, it is. Aaron Rodgers is good. Yes. Uh, It's funny. You know, look, I I think we're going to spend the offseason talking about this Bengals offense a lot. And I think they're are things to criticize. Uh, you know, it's not an offense that uses uh, play action very often. It doesn't use motion very often. That's stuff that people like us like because it helps your quarterback. That said, when you can run an offense without that stuff, and it might just be a matter of Joe Burrow is more comfortable with this. I mean, we, we saw Ben Roethlisberger for years never liked running play action. He just wasn't comfortable with it. I, I don't know if they necessarily thought it was a bad idea, just the quarterback didn't like it, so why force him to do something he doesn't like? Uh Joe Burrow might just like this spread them and shred them type of approach here. And if you can do it as efficiently and as effectively as he is doing it, that's really difficult to defend because there's just, there's more possibilities out there uh, for the offense. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the way that I saw it. And it's interesting, like Josh, it, it, it reminds me a little bit of a less schemed up version of what Josh Allen had like a year or two ago, you know, like where, I mean, Josh Allen's offense, everything is built into that, like every pick and rub and like there's a wide open, there's an open receiver on every play. Uh, but then you saw what the Bills had to do this year in order to step their game up in the absence of more weapons was to manufacture motion and to get some, you know, they ran a ton of that stuff against the Patriots. Isaiah McKenzie now has kind of become their, their fact back in uh in helping them mix things up so at some point the Bengals are going to have to take that step forward I'm surprised that they haven't already and maybe this is where we see it too right I mean maybe this is where we start seeing it because Zach Taylor comes from this tree where I mean Sean McVay was just pilfering Matt Canada stuff for a while in uh with the Rams and we saw a lot of interesting backfield sweep motion stuff like that it's not like the Bengals don't have those guys available I would be curious to see if they dug into that a little bit deeper, especially against the Titans team where you're going to need stuff, right? You're going to need, you're going to need coverage indicators for Joe Burrow. You're going to need stuff to help him out in this game or else they're going to, they're going to outplay you. I mean, this is a smart unit, uh, regardless of how good the benevolent spreadsheet says they really are. I think that they're well coached (laughs) and I think it's a, it's a tight unit. So we should give our game predictions here, and uh, you'll make one, I'll make one, and then the spreadsheet will make one. Oh boy, this is like, um, what's what was the name of the computer? Deep Blue, the chess computer? Yeah, yeah. Shit. All right, here we go. Um, I'm going to take... Uh, I, I, I'm going to project some weirdness, just because... Um, Editor Mitch has the Bengals like winning five straight Super Bowls, so um, I, I like going in a different direction here. I'm gonna go Titans. I'm gonna go Titans like 19, Bengals 16. Like I think something weird's gonna happen in this game, just by virtue of like at some point somebody's gotta pick apart the inefficiencies of the scheme, right? Like this isn't on Joe Burrow. It's like, but somebody is probably going to like the Rams and the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Someone has probably watched enough of this now to be like, okay, here's how I untie this thread and the entire thing falls apart. No one has done a better job uh, with the defenses here than Mike Vrabel and his staff uh, on that side of the ball. I am, look, I'm, I'm picking the Bengals. I, I am going to continue to ride the Bengals and, uh, I don't know. Let's just call it a score of 28 to 21. All touchdowns. No field goals in this one. Everyone's going forward on fourth down. Uh, The spreadsheet has Bengals by four, by the way. 
Does the spreadsheet actually make game picks? Uh, I just go by, <laughs> I just, it's, so it's, it's point differential is what it's right. It's luck adjusted point differential is what it is. So, uh, it does not take, is that LAPD? Schedule. <laughs> it's, it's, it's my favorite CSI. <laughs> when, when they do the bowl crossover, it's, uh, does it's Edie just Falco you run see. your spreadsheet? <laughs> Edie Flacco does. <laughs> Yeah, so it's uh it's luck adjusted point differential, and uh, I'm just looking at it, and admiring it. I just looking at it lovingly at this point, and and really, we've talked about this. This it controls me at this point. Uh, I don't control it, but uh, it just it evens out some of the factors. You know, uh, if you win a game with a if you win a game by a touchdown with like a plus four turnover di- differential, you probably didn't perform very well. You just you picked up four extra possessions, and you know that sort of thing. That that's that's the that's the basis of it. But you know, turnover differential, uh, fumble recovery rate, opposing kicker uh, performance, and red zone performance, and fourth down efficiency is what we're sort of factoring in and just evening those out a little bit. So uh, it does not take strength of schedule into account. The Bengals did play a softer schedule. I haven't built that into it yet, but uh, yes. So, anyways, the point is the Bengals. It has as plus. 4.9 per game. The Titans are plus 0.99 per game. All right. <laughs> that was, man. And that's why we'll never be Bob Hart's Abishola. <laughs> because of that bit and the number of people just tuning out right now. Beer. The Nikki Glazer Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glazer Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glazer Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glazer Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's go to Saturday night, 49ers at Packers. And look, this is my take on Packers fans. Uh, Your existence has just been miserable for like the last calendar year now because, number one, you had to deal with all the Aaron Rodgers stuff that ended up being sort of a whole lot of nothing uh, last offseason, but also the last two years you've gone to the NFC title game, and I don't think this team in 2019 was better than the 49ers team that beat them, but it was a complete collapse by Mike Pettin's defense in that game. And then last year, I do think the Packers, you know, if they match up with that Bucks team at home 10 times, I think they beat them seven or eight of those times. So you get upset in your own building in a game where the defense, again, not the same level of meltdown as they had two years ago, but just uh, a couple of coverage busts at the absolute worst time. So basically your team (laughs) just went out there and won another 13 games in regular season. And if you lose one of the next two weeks, you're just going to be all bummed out about the season once again. And that's a, that's no way to live. You got to find the little moments of joy that uh, come in throughout the season. But I realize that's been difficult. With that said, Connor, uh, I do worry a little bit about this defense because the last two meaningful games we saw them in that were not against Sean Mannion, uh, that was the win over the Browns and it was the win over the uh, Ravens. You had coverage bus. You had problems on the back end. And uh, Jair Alexander is back, but I, you know, I don't know if dropping a guy in there who's missed the last couple of months here is necessarily going to fix that and certainly you're going up against an offensive coach who can exploit and create those sort of uh issues for your uh for your defense yeah uh not to feed into the Aaron Rodgers narrative that he's like the most um uh schematically or personnel wise like a pressed quarterback in NFL history but 
of all quarterbacks who have started 10 or more playoff games in their history, Rodgers has the worst defensive points per game performance of any of those quarterbacks, like by far. And I think in his last in his last three playoff games, when he's faced the 49ers, in each of those, the 49ers have scored at least 35 points, which is wild. Think about Man. that. Yeesh. So I don't know. I think that this offense has matured enough to fix some of their defense's issues, if that makes sense. Like it is such a it is such a dominant ball control offense, but it also can be beautiful and field stretching at at the right times. But I think that it's it is the hyper drive version of what the 49ers aspire to be, right? With with mm-hmm. the right quarterback. And I think the way that they're running it now is just ahead of where the 49ers are running it by virtue of who's behind center. And I think because of that it will help your defense more than it has in the past, um, especially because you're not as worried about the 49ers coming in and doing what you did. They did to you two years ago, which is just completely pulling your pants down and running you over and then supplementing that with a world beating defense. This is not, you know, D'Amico Ryan's is a good coordinator. Um, he's brought some excellent pressure. Um, I thought at critical times this year, but I, it, that's not, this is not the defense that Robert Sala had a couple years ago when they made the Super Bowl. No. And uh, look, they're bad at cornerback and mm-hmm. nothing hamstrings a defense coordinator worse than not being able to trust your cornerbacks at this point. Now, Ambry Thomas has played better, uh, you know, the the, uh, the rookie cornerback there, and they have not had to put Josh Norman on the field quite as often uh, over the last couple of weeks. But it's still a problematic spot. And certainly when you go against Aaron Rodgers, that's not... It's not a good place to have a weakness. And uh, if Nick Bosa, who is in concussion protocol uh, as we tape the show, if he misses this game, I don't I shouldn't say I don't see a scenario where the 49ers can win this game. Uh, But essentially at that point, you are going to say, okay, well, we have to get a lead and we have to keep on sort of piling it on. We have to control the clock for uh, 40 minutes if you're the 49ers at that point. I don't know if that's in the cards for this game. I I think it's just it's not going to be enough. Uh, if they can't hold the Packers under 30 points when it's all said and done. Yeah, and I just think it's it's this is the laziest trope that I'm going to make in, in the history of this podcast, but it's just time. Like, I think uh, they have, you know, to go to win 13 games each year with Matt LaFleur and then to not be able to advance at some point. Like, I, I, I think it's just time. And I think that they needed time in order to get that offense together, in order to get all the pieces the way that they want it. And I think that they have things set up so well. I think the one thing that Green Bay does right now better than any other team is understand what they've put on film to this point and how teams are going to react to it. Um, And either beat them that way anyway because of, you know, whatever it is. If it's those short passes from Rodgers to Devontae Adams, that's one thing. Um, But... The other thing is to use that and and to uh, you know basically use the defense's tendencies against them to create chunk plays and to create big plays downfield. And I think that they're just flat out better than that at everybody in the NFL. I think they're going to prey on that. And listen, 49ers theoretically, you know, I hate when everybody says they practice against this defense every day, this offense every day. That's not true. The 49ers defense practices against the offense of the teams that they're going to play every day. But the coaches do know this intimately, right? And I would say that out of all of the little, you know, cheat notes that D'Amico Ryan's probably gets from Kyle Shanahan, this is probably the the fattest notebook that he's going to have in in his uh, his history as a defensive play caller. Connor, prediction time. Oh, um, twenty eight, twenty, Packers. Okay. I've got some, I've got a 31-19 Packers. Robbie Gold really keeping uh, the 49ers in it. And the spreadsheet, the spreadsheet does not like the Packers, by the way. I think it had a lot to do with the fact that they, they had so many turnovers late in the year and were still uh, winning games somewhat close. Uh, they have, oh, they still do have the Packers winning it. So uh, Packers by one. 1.04. Wow. 1.04 uh, if you're if you're being exact about it. But, Do you yeah. just have Nate Silver trapped in a computer over there? What's going on? 
Why, why would I trap him in the computer? I just have to trap him around a computer. That's why we can't see the other end of your basement anymore. <laughs> He's playing some of the board games I have over there. He's happy. <laughs> He's cool with it. Right? All right, let's go to uh let's go to Sunday. The Bucks and the Rams. And look, this is a Rams team that has beaten the Buccaneers in two straight games. I've done it uh, in somewhat convincing fashion. Uh, last year, obviously, was with Jared Goff. Now, if you go back a year, that Rams win was kind of the one of the last straws before Tom Brady kind of said, OK, let's we need to rethink this offense. We need to come to some sort of understanding that we're not going to run the classic Bruce Arians offense anymore. Uh, they made that change. They were better down the stretch, and obviously they've been better since then. Uh, as far as the earlier uh, meeting this year, I mean, the, the Rams were in control of that one as well. That was back when uh, Matthew Safford was really going well. And I, I guess the thing that always comes up with Sean McVay is – you know, his offense tends to become less effective as a year goes on overall, uh, specifically the passing game. Uh, do you put stock into that? I mean, it exists. It's real. Uh, is it sort of a, a schematic problem? Is it a problem of you can only do so many things with your offense and once it's on tape, uh, everyone's kind of, you know, everyone has some time to, to prepare for it at that point. What's sort of behind this? And uh, I don't know, should should we worry about it in any way, shape or form? I would be more I was more worried about it um, during Sean McVay's Super Bowl run, right, where I think we were all stunned to see what Bill Belichick's defense did and for them not to have an answer. Um, but I thought I got a lot of confidence in seeing the Cardinals just beat the crap out of Cooper Cup on Monday and then it didn't matter because you isolated Tyler Higby and Odell Beckham, and they just beat you that way. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens there. I don't know if Cam Akers has a Cam Akers game against this front. And like we've said, the the Buccaneers' run defense is a little bit of a, you know, there's there's a false bravado there. They're very weak on the perimeter. Um, you know, I, I think that there's ways that you can run on this team, even though the Eagles weren't uh, able to you're not getting a Cam Akers performance, right? So where does that all even out in the middle? I think they've shown they can succeed when you take Cooper Cup out of the game. So I don't know. I, I, I'm i slightly more confident than I have been in years past. And if you're Sean McVay too, you have to know that. You have to know that this thing is built for the long haul and you have to build in some stuff. And now you probably can with Matt Stafford. Whereas mm -hmm. with Jared Goff, what would you have been able to do um, differently because you couldn't trust him to to run any portion of the offense anyway? Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, look, the McVeigh versus Bowles side of this is is really. I mean, those are two uh, those are two A list guys going head to head on that side of the ball. On the other side of the ball, uh, so my guess is we don't have Tristan Wirfs on uh, Sunday, and then Ryan Jensen's kind of up in the air. It seems like Jensen is more likely to play, but either way, you have kind of a banged up Bucks offensive line. And what you saw last week, there was margin for error just because the Eagles, number one, weren't doing anything offensively. Number two, Tom Brady really had a beat on what they were doing defensively. But you saw some, you know, moments where young receivers were not on the details like Chris Godwin was, like Antonio Brown was when they were healthy. And, you know, they left a couple plays on the field because of it. Uh, there is much less margin for error with his offense here. And, look, you're going to have Jalen Ramsey on Mike Evans. Uh, that doesn't mean he's 100% taken away, but it's it's going to be probably not a nine-catch, 130-yard game for Mike Evans at this point. Uh, and you have to have some sort of way to figure it out, which, you know, you'd assume it's heavier reliance on the quick game at this point if, uh, if you're going to have to negate what's obviously a really good Rams front four against a banged up Bucks offensive line. Yeah. I, I would, if I were Raheem Morris, it's, it's going to be interesting, right? The temptation would almost be to assume that they're going to do that, that, and, and I, as much as, okay, you want Tom Brady to complain that Antonio Brown isn't there anymore, but this is a, group of personnel that can probably win against a somewhat ravaged secondary that doesn't 
necessarily tackle well, right? And mm-hmm. so you would you would want to rely on that quick game. You know, you would just want to have him get the ball out of his hands and then allow him, um, you know, allow whatever, you know, Vaughn, Evans, all these guys to just break a couple tackles and, you know, death by death by paper cuts, you know, and because I don't see another way to run this game plan. You know, if you're trying to get vertical against this team, uh, Aaron Donald is going to get into the backfield. I mean, he's going to destroy you. And so I'd be interested in if if Raheem Morris at all, we've we've seen Donald drop back sometimes. We've seen him almost like play like a somewhat of a linebacker role. Like, do you more resign yourself to the fact that this is the way they're going to play you and give yourself more chances to just sort of stop the bleeding in that regard? Be really good. It, it just it seems like more of a problem solving week for both Raheem Morris and for Tom Brady at this point, considering uh, what's going on with the offensive line. And that line has been, for the most part, healthy for the last two seasons. So even though they were having some schematic issues in the first half of 2020, this is I feel like the first time Brady's going into a game where it's kind of like I don't know we're we're a little we're a little shorthanded for once. This is not quite the supporting cast that I'm used to having. And again, like to me, the image from last week was, uh, I believe it was Tyler Johnson on, on a third and four or something like that. And, uh, you know, he's, he's crossing the face of a linebacker and he's supposed to keep running. And instead he sort of throttled it down and Brady put it, you know, just a little bit too far in front of him because of that. And they flashed to Brady on, on the replay and he's just screaming like his mouth, like is wide open, like the, <laughs> like a freaking, like a J horror scene or something just yelling run it's like (laughs) yeah i mean that's that's what you lose when all these guys you're used to are not on the field todd brady screaming on the sidelines tonight on the episode of ghost you'll be screaming too (laughs) nine o'clock on cbs um yeah i'm do you trust it like a lot of times it comes down to like do you trust Sean McVay to outclass Todd Bowles more, or do you trust like Raheem Morris to outclass Tom Brady essentially, you know? And that, that's something that I'm like, that, that, that I'm really interested uh, to see. I, I like the Rams in this one, but I'm, I'm curious how the benevolent spreadsheet treats something like Tom Brady. Like, does it have a legends factor built in? Is there some sort of like, matrix where it it just understands tom brady's skills like i i don't know uh you know i don't know how that necessarily works you know no tom brady is just a man and that's uh that's Mm. what the that's what the spreadsheet tells us Mm. these teams are this is like the closest one this is uh the difference is 0.23 between these two teams so basically uh a quarter of a point and uh so slight edge to the bucks in this one as far as the spreadsheet is concerned I guess that's an overtime. Maybe that's like a triple overtime game is what we end up getting. I'll take that. We're yeah. we're in need of uh we're in need of like a, a a real banger, you know. Like I think we all sort of um, Chargers and and Raiders just wore us out, you know. And I think we yeah. need we need a get we need an exhausting like uh we need an exhausting game that just like has us uh has us enthralled from moment one. My hope is that the Rams score points. If the Rams, if, if this offense breaks again, then uh, there's nothing to see here. This feels like the game though, that, that can't be anything but close. Like yes. I, I just can't see a scenario. I, I can see a scenario where, where the Packers run away from the 49ers. I can see a scenario where, uh, you know, the Titans get a couple turnovers and that game goes sideways. It's really difficult to picture this one being anything but like a, a one possession game going to the fourth quarter. As unsexy as this probably is, though, right? Like, do- doesn't it always come down to like defensive line pressure, penetration? Which team do you expect um, to do that better? I thought it was interesting in the last game that they played against each other in week three. Like, I've never seen both of those quarterbacks play worse under pressure. And I do think that both of these defenses do have some unique pieces that you that just throw off those kinds of quarterbacks specifically right like Tom Brady hates when there is quick penetration defensive tackles because they're closer to him and they negate a little bit the best part of his game which is I can get rid of the ball in 2.3 seconds but Aaron Donald can also get there in 2.3 seconds he was awful under pressure against the Bucks um or against the Rams and Stafford was 
even worse um, against the Bucks under pressure. So um, I, I think that that is probably going to be it. It's like, can Todd Bowles put up another swan song performance against a great quarterback and a great offense? Um, can Raheem Morris do the same thing? All right. So what's uh, what's your prediction for this, Connor? Mm, um, let's see. I will take. It's always weird when somebody asks me for my prediction. It's more just what I want to happen and not what I think is going to happen. You That's know? okay. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Uh, I like, I think we're still all in this mode where it's like Tom Brady is inevitable and he's going to destroy everybody. And that's probably going to happen. But what if there's that one game, like the weird, like 20, like the tail end Patriots where they're just too injured and like as good as Tom Brady is, it doesn't matter. Like maybe it's one of those. So maybe like, I don't know, like let's, let's have fun with it. Like 38, 25 Rams. Okay. Like let's have them. Let's, let's have like an offensive party, you know? I'm uh, I'm going 27-24 bucks in overtime. Ugh. In double overtime. Does that make you feel better about it? Yeah. That's okay. cool. Okay. 26-24 <laughs> overtime safety to end it. <laughs> Perfect. The Nikki Glaser podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's go to the uh, the last game of the weekend. And man, this is just going to be the way Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes are playing just at the height of their powers at the moment. I mean, this is this is just uh, it's never going to live up to the hype, but let's get really excited about it right now. It's kind of a similar story on both sides of the ball here for the defenses. Uh, I, I, look, the Bills, when they played the Chiefs for the first time in 2020, essentially did not blitz Patrick Mahomes at all. They just they they took uh, basically their entire defense, put him somewhere in West Seneca, and was like, "All right, we are going to give you uh, a 15 yard cushion where you're just not going to throw over our head." And that was a game uh, that was on like a Tuesday, and it was in driving rain, and and the Chiefs ended up winning that with uh, I, I think Edwards Elair ended up with like 150 yards or something like that. It was that type of game. When they got him again in the playoffs last year, they mixed in some blitzes. I don't know if I well, it didn't work, but it might have been a little bit different of a game if their blitzers who got home actually got Mahomes on the ground. Uh, too many times they had guys who who they should have had sacks, and Mahomes escaped them, and then it you know it all goes uh, horribly wrong for your defense when that happened. When these teams played earlier this season, which was the you know a convincing victory for the Bills, the Bills did not blitz. Mahomes at all again they went back to that old approach and obviously it worked that was also at a time when the Chiefs were sort of having some just you know just uh the problems with just catching the ball just throwing the ball like five yards and a guy catching it and picking up like a seven yard gain uh they seemed incapable of doing that uh just execution was not there so I'm guessing the Bills are just going to play a whole lot of coverage again in this one because we've seen it certainly work earlier this season and it probably worked better last season when we saw these two teams yeah i i would say that my x factor for this game uh it it, since you didn't ask for it i'm just gonna give it to you (laughs) is uh is is jerry hughes and i liked in the that first game i thought it was fun what they were doing um leslie frazier and co were doing was and and this is not anything new or, or outlandish but they were just having him sort of fake a rush which again 
that conflicts the the offensive tackle who's not going anywhere and then just almost have him back up and just sit in the middle of the field when Patrick Mahomes is throwing the ball and the Chiefs have so many of those crossing concepts and it was almost like well I'm just going to stand here and everybody else is already covered so this is just a different thing for you to have to deal with and he was almost just like waving his hands in front of Patrick Mahomes' face and being like okay try to figure out you know Tyree kills behind here somewhere, but I don't think you can find him. And so I think that was sort of an interesting take on that where, um, you know, and then Hughes could rush strategically. And I think that they did that really well. They mixed that stuff up well. Um, and they threw some stuff that again, Patrick Mahomes has seen all this before, but you know, veteran guys in big spots that have seen this stuff a ton of times. I, I like, I like their odds in this and I like what they did in that last game. I wonder if they do that again with, with Jerry Hughes. And the Chiefs took a, uh, a similar attack as far as coverage versus pressure when they uh, played Josh Allen last time. And uh, Allen didn't have, like, a huge passing game. They just, uh, you know, he picked up chunks on the ground. Uh, you know, they, they were taking the ball away. It, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure what the best way to guard uh, these Bills guys are. I would say I, I don't want to play a whole lot of man coverage against them after seeing what happened to the Patriots uh, a week ago, but I don't know. Are, are, am I just a prisoner of the moment at this point? No, because I think that's what Brian Dable does. Like he wants, you know, well, I, I'll say this. I think his best stuff, I think Brian Dable's best calls this year have been against zone defenses because that way you can still impact the defense without exposing your like relative lack of depth on, in the playmaker department, right? Like you can bring guys out and just draw a defender in and then create space for Stefan Diggs without having to just like win on these matchups all the time. And so mm-hmm. I, I might test them. And, you know, I think what Belichick's idea was sound, right? Because it's like, I would rather have some good defenders beat than to have him just like basically use the rules of my defense against me and, and pick me apart that way. Um, but I don't know. I, I think that the Chiefs offer a slightly different flavor defensively. I mean, Tyree Matthew is going to be sort of the equalizer here. New England didn't really have a kind of player that can change the equation like that. But, uh, you know, it, it's it's just so tough. I mean, Josh Allen's mobility is you, you can't talk about it enough. It, it, it just changes everything when a player that is that large and physical. I mean, we saw it in 2015 when the Panthers went to the playoffs with Cam Newton. When a player is that large and physical and then you can spread the ball out and throw the football, it's almost impossible to defend. Prediction. Uh, this will be just a complete... Um, this is just a complete uh, st- uh, pandering stance to the people of Buffalo who were kind and welcoming last weekend. I'll be in Nashville <laughs> this weekend, so I don't care what uh, what anybody thinks anymore. But I'm gonna. I I said this earlier in the week, so I'll stand by it. Like I I think the Bills are gonna win this game by a lot. I mean, they, what, yeah. what was it? Thirty eight twenty in the thirty eight twenty last thirty eight twenty in the first one. Um, like I think it's gonna be like thirty five seventeen. Like I think they're going to. I think they're going to come out and just dominate. Like this team is just too good right now. They're they're on a roll and if the Chiefs are even somewhat vulnerable to a standard running game, like this thing, like the Patriots game is going to be over pretty pretty fast. Yeah, a little uh Reggie Gilliam fever there getting the two backs out there. Uh I'm just looking at the spreadsheet. This is actually even tighter than the Bucks Packers. Uh this is Excuse me, the Bucks, uh, Rams. This is .08 separating these teams. The Bills with the slight edge. So uh, that'll, Connor. I know you love the spreadsheet, so we'll put the spreadsheet away for the rest of this show. But uh, so if any games can go triple overtime, it's this one. I'll pick the Chiefs mostly because I've been picking the Chiefs all season, and uh, I will still subscribe to the streaky Josh Allen uh, sort of, mm. uh, uh, you know, line of thinking here that at some point he's just going to, you know, like uh, Steph Curry. Sometimes you go and see Steph Curry and he goes, whatever, four for 11 from three-point land, and uh, that's a bummer. And uh, four for 11 is actually still pretty all right for the NBA. But Josh, Josh Allen's still <clears throat> pretty all right, uh, even on his off days. But I am, uh, I'm still going to ride the Chiefs here just out of stubbornness, so I will go... Uh, uh, let's call it thirty-one twenty-eight. Hmm. 
What makes you lean towards streaky Josh Allen more than streaky Joe Burrow? It's a really good question, Connor. Spreadsheet sure. on its heels. Can't <laughs> contend with smart question. My, my answer was going to be shut up. <laughs> I don't see. I think we have a, uh, a, a a set of data over a couple of years with Josh Allen at this point that that says, you know, every once in a while he is going to be a little bit scattershot. He's going to be the again, the, the the metaphor, because people love cross sports metaphors that really don't enlighten them in any way is, <laughs> uh, you know, he's he's the three point shooter. He's the Steph Curry of this league, whereas I feel like Joe Burrow last year. Um, you know, rookie quarterback adjusting to uh, to the NFL, adjusting to the speed of the NFL this year, coming off the ACL early, you have to get your mechanics back down, and you really have to do it uh, under sort of live fire at that point. So I don't really think Joe Burrow is. Uh, I, I don't consider him streaky. I just consider him really good, uh, and I think Josh Allen is really good too. But I think he's just a little bit, a little bit streaky, a little bit. Interesting. How's that? Uh, that's fine. You, you, I, I you say, can you can blow that up if you want. Um, the problem with that is I don't know how other than to say we don't know what Joe Burrow is as a quarterback right now, right? Like he, yeah. he, and he's had so, and this is just by virtue of like, and I would hope that the spreadsheet would appreciate this. Like, if you're having the longest active streak of like perfect passer games in the NFL right now, like at some point, what happens? Like you don't have one of those games, right? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I'd agree with that. I just think, uh, I, I think in the end, okay, if we are uh, coming on Sunday night and running over the games of the weekend and we're sort of like, oh man, uh, he just missed, you know, three throws and that was kind of the difference of this game. I think you're more likely to say that about Josh Allen than about Joe Burrow at this point. That's true. How's that? That's true. That's it's, fair. It's completely unsatisfactory, but uh, yeah, that's that's just what I think of it. I think, and I will, uh, at least until Saturday, if they lose, I will continue to ride this. I think Joe Burrow is, uh, I, I think he's the guy. I think there's Mahomes, and then I think Burrow is like the closest to him out of that class of, you know, whatever, Burrow, Herbert, uh, and and Josh Allen at this point. Who am I forgetting? I'm forgetting someone really good, aren't I? Well, after you called him too short to play in the NFL, are you throwing <laughs> Kyler Murray in there too? I don't Tom put, Savage? Tom I don't Savage? Put, yeah, I mean, that's that's the Tom Savage class uh, right there. Those, those guys, Mahomes, Savage... Josh Allen, Burrow, and her. No, I, I, I don't put Kyler Murray uh, in that class. I, I think he's somewhere in tier three there. If you're, if you're rating these dudes, uh, Tom Savage lost his job, by the way, to a guy. I used to work at a newspaper in New Jersey, and mm -hmm. it was like, it was like wild, uh, hot news. Like I think he was benched or lost. Uh, the job to someone named Chaz Dodd or Chase Dodd, but it's it's C H A S, so I don't know if it was Chaz or Chase. I never got around to it. He's actually the strength and conditioning coach at the University of Miami now. Um, but okay, you know that was like um, you know that that was a big deal back then. I was just thinking about. I just wickied uh, Chaz Dodd, Chase Dodd. <laughs> you know he played for the Lazio Marines of the Italian Football League. <laughs> I actually, I want to see like Wikipedia's data of number of people on Tom Savage's uh, Wikipedia page right now. I'm sure it's two, maybe three if, if Tom edits it himself. But uh, uh, he majored in communications, you know, so maybe he is launching his own podcast, own media empire. <laughs> Savage media. The MMQB NFL Podcast is Connor Orr and me, Gary Gramling. We are produced by Shelby Royston. SI's executive producer of podcasts is Scott Brody. And our senior podcast producer is Dan Bloom. Mark Ravick is emeritus editor of the MMQB. Andy Benoit is the founder of the MMQB NFL Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this feed on Apple Podcasts. And once you do, please leave a rating and review because it really does help other people find the show, which is also available on Spotify, Stitcher, SI.com, and wherever else you listen to podcasts.
What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.